Leander Floyd happens every day in this country in education, in health services, and in every area of American life. It's time for us to stand up in George's name and say, get your knee off our necks. Well said, Rev. Well said. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids and Western Michigan in WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's Great AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, even during pandemics and protests. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Hopefully it's not quite as thrilling as yesterday's show, (laughs) Desi Doyen. When everything changed uh, about 15 times uh, before, during, and after the show. Yes, less thrilling is always better. Yes, it is. (laughs) These days, it is. Uh, One of the many stories that I had to sideline on yesterday's broadcast concerned a new detail in the case of Donald Trump's actual voter fraud crime that he committed. As I have been pointing out now for a number of weeks... Uh, that he is an actual voter fraud criminal. Now, I'm glad I had to bump that story yesterday, in fact, because we've got another new detail on it today, as the president of the United States is now facing an official criminal election fraud complaint in the state of Florida. Oh, good. I will get to all of those new details on all of that in a little bit. But first, one of the other stories I had to bump with all of the incoming breaking news yesterday followed on Trump's claim that he wants to pull the R- the Republican National Convention, uh, currently scheduled for August, just two months from now, uh, scheduled for Charlotte, North Carolina. He wants to pull it from there, move it to another state because the governor of the incredibly closely divided battleground state will not allow Trump to create a shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder viral super spreader Event inside of Charlotte's Spectrum Center as Trump is demanding. 
So uh, pulling out of the state after so many plans have been made and jobs and businesses are at stake in uh, carrying it all out could very much hurt Trump's chances of uh, winning again in uh, in the must win state of North Carolina for him this November. The uh, talked about that part of, uh, of the story, uh, but the related news that I wasn't able to get to yesterday was the video by the Republican anti-Trump group known as Project Lincoln. They created a great ad that focuses on the Confederate flag and both Trump and Trump supporters embrace of what the ad describes as a flag of treason. Seen in the ad being waved by Trump supporters all over the country. And the reason that this story has anything to do with North Carolina is that this ad, which has been viewed nearly 10 million times by now online, was rejected by ABC 11 WTVD in Raleigh-Durham for some reason. They simply refused to run it there, despite its accuracy, describing it, according to Project Lincoln, as just too, def- too inflammatory <laughs> for the people of Raleigh-Durham. Yesterday, Project Lincoln released this statement in response. He said this morning, an act of overt cowardice. ABC affiliate WTVD in Raleigh, North Carolina, refused to air our ad, Flag of Treason, citing it as too inflammatory. We at the Lincoln Project think inflammatory is the gassing of peaceful protesting Americans and the violent and hateful rhetoric President Trump spews to incite further mayhem and destruction all of which ABC 11 WTVD has aired. Their refusal, they say, is a blatant obstruction of the First Amendment, a silencing of the truth, and un-American, according to the Lincoln Project. They say we hope ABC 11 WTVD will quickly rethink their position. Well, if ABC 11 in Raleigh-Durham wants to uh, play politics and prevent voters in one of the most diverse parts of the state from seeing this ad, which focuses on the flag of the Confederacy, flown by uh, those who you may recall committed treason against the U.S. by waging an actual war against it, well, I guess we have to do our part here on the broadcast to push back by playing it here. And, um, well, it seems like the least we could do. The men who followed this flag 150 years ago knew what it meant. Treason against their country. The death of the United States. America defeated the men who followed that flag. Those with honor surrendered and cast it aside forever. So why does it keep showing up today at events supporting Donald Trump? And why does he call the folks who carry it very fine people. I think there's blame on both sides, but you also had people that were very fine people. What does it say that they're all in for Trump? What does it say that he won't condemn a flag of hate, division, and losers? For us, it says this is a time for choosing America or Trump. Great ad and just shameful, frankly, that ABC 11 in in Raleigh, Durham, wouldn't run it. That's from Project Lincoln, which, again, is a bunch of Republicans. It includes Bill Kristol. It includes George Conway, who is married to Kellyanne Conway, the senior counsel at the White House. So it seems like the least we could do is play it. You're welcome. 
But, you know, I'm hoping that everyone in North Carolina will remember both that ad and that Trump is telling your state to get lost by pulling out millions of dollars of investment at the last minute in the Republican convention that had been planned there for years. That is if Trump actually follows through and pulls out, because, as I've been pointing out lately, he's a bluffer. And a coward. And a coward about pretty much everything. He makes these threats on all sorts of things. He wants to try to look like a tough guy, and he rarely actually follows through on those threats. For example, his threat to unleash U.S. troops across the U.S. to quell peaceful protests and dominate the streets. Well, other than in his own front yard at the White House, he is dominating nothing with U.S. troops, and he likely won't. His threat to do so, of course, is built on a lie that Antifa, a loosely based movement of anti-fascist demonstrators, it's not an actual organization, that somehow Antifa is organizing these protests around the country and sparking violence, despite the fact that video after video shows that most of the violence is itself being sparked by police officers across the country. And, yes, radical right-wing white supremacist groups. The same folks who rally around that flag of treason that Trump seems to be saluting. But for uh, Republicans, from the, uh, from the president to Fox News, it's much more fun and, of course, much more convenient to blame the amorphous Antifa or George Soros just to toss in some anti-Semitic fun into the mix for these protests that are taking place uh, in the wake of the police killing by uh, a, a white policeman of the African-American George Floyd up in Minneapolis about 10 days ago. And shamefully, it is not just the right-wing media who is circulating these evidence-free claims about Antifa. So is the non-wingnut media, sadly. Staff members at the New York Times today are publicly rebuking their own newspaper for publishing an opinion piece by Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas. Wasn't that one of the Confederate states? Oh, yes. Just, just trying to remember. On, on Wednesday, Cotton, in this uh, New York Times opinion piece, called for military intervention into American cities where protests over Floyd's death have led to unrest. The swift backlash, which spilled out onto Twitter, came from dozens across the Times organization and included opinion writers, reporters, editors, magazine staffers. Several tweeted the same message. Quote, running this puts black New York Times staffers in danger, along with an image of the editorial's headline from Tom Cotton, Send in the Troops. In his uh, op-ed, Cotton defended the invocation of the Insurrection Act that Trump has been citing and claiming that he would use. Cotton claims that an overwhelming show of force is needed to, quote, restore order to our streets. So against that backdrop, several Times staffers viewed Cotton's essay as an ominous, quote, call for military force against Americans because, well, that's what it was. But that's how James uh, Jamel Bowie uh, put it. He's a Times opinion columnist. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who recently won a to uh, the, the Times uh, a Pulitzer Prize for her 1619 project there, said, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but to not say something would be immoral. As a black woman, as a journalist, as an American, I am deeply ashamed that we ran this.
Cotton's op-ed was uh, subheadlined: "The nation must restore order. The military stands ready." It argues that rioting, quote, has nothing to do with George Floyd, whose bereaved relatives have condemned violence. On the contrary, nihilist criminals are simply out for loot and the thrill of destruction with cadres of left wing radicals like Antifa infiltrating protest marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. Well, are you sure about that, Senator? Because actual evidence suggests otherwise. I don't know that uh, Tom Cotton and the Republican Party is much into evidence these days. But even evidence published in the New York Times itself debunks this claim about Antifa just two days, two days before they published Cotton's editorial. In a Times uh, article by Davy Alba on June 1... That was Monday, headlined, Misinformation about George Floyd protests surges on social media. Alba debunks misinformation about claims that George Floyd, A, isn't actually dead. Yes, that's a thing, that the whole thing was staged. We had a caller to the show on Monday who, who sort of made that claim. And it debunks the eternal right-wing conspiracy that uh, that targets George Soros, that he is secretly funding everybody. Apparently everybody who is not a Republican is being funded by George Soros. I wish that he would fund me, for crying out loud, because we could use the money. <laughs> anyway, as to Antifa... Alba writes, uh, conservative commentators are asserting with little evidence that Antifa, the anti-fascism movement, coordinated the riots and looting that sprang from the protests. The unsubstantiated theory that Antifa activists are responsible for the riots and looting was the biggest piece of protest misinformation that was tracked by Zignal Labs, which looked at certain categories of falsehoods. Of 873,000 pieces of misinformation in social media linked to the protests, more than 575,000 of them were mentions of Antifa. Wait, how many and how many? There was 873,000 pieces of misinformation. Almost 600,000 of them were about Antifa. Wow. The uh, Antifa narrative gained traction because, quote, long established networks of hyperpartisan social media influencers now work together like a well oiled machine, according to a social media researcher. So this all happened, boom, very quickly. It began when Trump on Sunday tweeted that, uh, quote, Antifa led our anarchists and, quote, radical left anarchists are, are to blame for all of the unrest without pro providing any specifics to back that up. Then he called Antifa a terrorist organization. In fact, they're not an organization at all. It is a bunch of people who oppose fascism. I know as crazy as that sounds. But uh, nonetheless, that won't stop Fox News. Dan Bongino, I think, is that how you say his name? I don't know. Bongino? I don't know. He's a, uh, a wingnut political commentator. The Times inaccurately calls him a conservative commentator. He then took up the president's call. Uh, he went on Fox and Friends on, uh, on Monday, said that Antifa activists were responsible for a, quote, sophisticated attack on the White House and called it a, quote, insurrection. 
Of course, I had already heard the same thing from some of my own wingnut relatives uh, by then, uh, but, uh, but this is how it began to spread. And it spread around social media. There were more than 6,000 Facebook uh, posts linking the Antifa movement to the protests over the past seven days, collecting over 1.3 million likes and shares, according to the T New York Times. And on Twitter, a fake manual uh, specifying, quote, riot orders was supposedly issued by Democrats directing Antifa activists to stir up trouble circulated prominently. But it was fake. It was faked. Uh, this uh, so-called manual was uh, uh, apparently part of an old hoax linked to the April 2015 riots in Baltimore over the death of Freddie Gray in police custody. That, according to a fact check website known as Snopes.com. Nonetheless, uh, this, uh, you know, has been a, a, a very conf convenient straw man for the right so that they don't have to face their own uh, criminal part in all of this. As uh, Reuters reports, uh, with all of this in mind, Donald Trump has blamed left-wing extremists for instigating right, uh, nights of looting and violence in cities across the U.S., but an internal intelligence assessment by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, seen by Reuters, said that most of the violence appears to have been driven by opportunists, not by Antifa. The part of the document seen by Reuters did not provide any specific evidence of left-wing extremist-driven violence, but noted that white supremacists were working online to increase tensions between protesters and law enforcement by calling for acts of violence against both groups. Most protests around the country, they note, have been peaceful. Of course, and looting and vandalism, by the way, has been less prevalent in uh, in recent days, even as appalling videos continue to come out every day. Last night it was in several places around New York State and in Indiana showing violent actions taken by police against peaceful protesters. And they were appalling one after another after another. But back to Reuters here, as they accurately report, Trump has cast blame for violence on Antifa, which is not an organization, but rather an amorphous movement that opposes authoritarianism. Which is so, a terrible idea, of, right, apparently, to oppose authoritarianism right. and fascism. No wonder he's against it. Over the weekend, U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, the most corrupt AG that the nation has ever seen by far, said that violence in Minneapolis and other cities was being driven by, quote, far left extremist groups. Echoing comments uh, from Trump, Barr said that those causing the violence were traveling to hotspots from out of state without elaborating further. Of course, those charges have been made for years. Whenever these protests come up, they were made during the civil rights movement. They are outside agitators coming from out of state. Otherwise, we wouldn't see all of these protests. Two Justice Department officials, however, who declined to be identified by Reuters, uh, told them that they had seen little evidence to support the claims from Barr or from Trump. Court and police records from some of the cities where violence erupted, uh, including Baltimore, Minneapolis and Washington, show most of the people that the police had charged with rioting and property damage uh, over the weekend lived either in those cities or in nearby suburbs. So they weren't coming from out of state. One senior DHS official said there are, quote, incredibly strong indications, unquote, that the violence in some cities was organized. But that's not what his own organization's own intelligence assessment indicated. 
In Las Vegas, uh, the uh, assistant sheriff, Christopher Jones, said that graffiti and property damage, which he described as targeting, quote, capitalist structures, suggested Antifa involvement. But he added that social media posts showed people expressing views, quote, very consistent with white supremacist ideology and uh, that they had intermingled with the crowd on Monday. NBC News reported that a Twitter account claiming to be to, claiming to belong to the to a national Antifa organization and pushing violent rhetoric related to ongoing protests had been linked to the white nationalist group known as Identity Europa, according to a Twitter spokesperson. Uh, the spokesperson said the account violated the company's platform manipulation and spam policy, specifically the creation of fake accounts. As protests were taking place in multiple states across the uh, U.S. on Sunday night, the newly created uh, account called Antifa underscore U.S., which has since been deleted by Twitter, they tweeted uh, on Sunday, Tonight's the night, comrades, with a brown raised fist emoji. And said, uh, tonight we say F the city and we move into residential areas, the white hoods, and we take what's ours. This is uh, this is the Antifa, uh, fake Antifa that Donald Trump is. Anyway, as NBC notes also correctly, the Antifa movement has been targeted by Donald Trump as the force behind some of the violence and property destruction at uh, some of the protests. However, little evidence has been provided for such claims. Off Twitter, viral text messages of screenshots of doctored tweets have circulated throughout the country, reportedly. Some of the false text messages claim that extremist groups are plotting to move into residential areas this week. Good Lord. Now, we reported earlier in the week on videotape from the very first day of protests in Minneapolis. This was last week. It shows a white guy in a full face gas mask at the protests before there was any tear gas fired or any looting at the protests over the police killing of uh, George Floyd, uh, where this guy with the, he had a full face gas mask. Lots uh, of, he was wearing tactical gear. He was he had a black jacket. He had a hood. He had an opened umbrella, a black umbrella. It wasn't even raining. And yet he was calmly walking down the sidewalk with a hammer discreetly by his side. And just shattering one window after another as he walked down the street. Uh, this was at the AutoZone store. When protesters noticed, uh, as seen on the videotape, they tried to stop him and they demanded to know what the hell he was doing, who he was. But that made him leave and he pushed off the protesters trying to find out who the hell he was. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison tweeted out the video of this guy along with the comments, quote, this man doesn't look like any civil rights protester I have ever seen. <laughs> Looks like a provocateur. Can anyone ID him? He asked. Now, I don't know if he was this guy was ever ID'd or not, but I have seen some uh, post a side by side photo with uh, a police officer from one Saint of the Paul. It was from St. Paul. Uh, but I have no way to verify that that was actually him. And I don't know if he has, you know, been actually officially identified or not. But whoever he was, he was definitely an instigator. He was not a protester. 
He was obviously hoping that by, you know, breaking the windows on the business, it would lead to looting and chaos and otherwise make the protesters look bad. That's what's going on underneath all of this. All of this as Trump and Barr are calling for Antifa to be declared a terrorist organization, blaming them for the chaos in major cities without any evidence to back it up. And as they are doing that, guess what? This from AP on uh, on Wednesday. Three Nevada men with ties to a movement of right-wing extremists advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government have been arrested on terrorism-related charges and what authorities say was a conspiracy to spark violence during recent protests in Las Vegas. That, according to AP on Wednesday, federal prosecutors say the three white men with U.S. military experience are accused of conspiring to carry out a plan that began in April in conjunction with protests to reopen businesses closed because of the coronavirus. And later they sought to capitalize on protests over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. The three men were arrested on Saturday on the way to a protest in downtown Las Vegas after filling gas cans at a parking lot and making Molotov cocktails in glass bottles, according to a copy of the criminal complaint that was obtained by the Associated Press. The complaint filed in U.S. District Court in Vegas on Wednesday said they self-identified as part of the Boogaloo movement, mm. which U.S., do you know the Boogaloo movement? I do. Uh, really? Why is that, Desi Doyen? Because I do my research, and it's something oh, I hope we I will see. talk about in depth in a future show. I see. Not because you're... <laughs> involved in the all no, right. but I do like Hawaiian well, shirts. I see. Oh, are they? Are these the guys who wear the yeah, Hawaiian shirts? Yeah, these are shirts? the guys who wear the Hawaiian shirts. That's their goofy symbol, their goofy uniform that they use. Well, U.S. prosecutors uh, say in the document that the uh, Boogaloo uh, movement is a term used by extremists to signify coming civil war and or fall of civilization. And we're getting close to both of them, I would say, at this point. Um, now, I can't recall, but uh, has Donald Trump called for the Boogaloo movement to be declared a terrorist group since, you know, they actually call for coming civil war and the fall of civilization? Since their members were actually caught planning to use Molotov cocktails to spark violence at a peaceful rally on Saturday, the day before Trump declared Antifa, which is not even a group, to be declared a terrorist organization? Anyway, these three men were held on $1 million bond each in Clark County Jail on Wednesday, according to, uh, to court records. Each currently faces two federal charges, conspiracy to damage and destroy by fire and explosives, and possession of unregistered firearms. Well done, gents. Along with multiple terrorism-related state charges. So no evidence, no evidence to support the claims of Trump or Barr or of Senator Tom Cotton of the former Confederate state of Arkansas on the pages of the New York Times calling for U.S. troops to be deployed to American streets against peaceful citizen protesters. Because, as Cotton was allowed to write in the paper of record on Wednesday, cadres of left-wing radicals like Antifa are infiltrating protests, marches to exploit Floyd's death for their own anarchic purposes. But of course, even if Cotton doesn't care and Trump is too stupid to know better, Attorney General Bill Barr, he certainly does know better. 
because his own FBI told him as much. Ken Klippenstein at The Nation reported this week that the FBI's Washington field office, quote, has no intelligence indicating Antifa involvement or presence in the violence that occurred on May 31 during the D.C. area protests over the murder of George Floyd. That, according to an internal FBI situation report obtained exclusively by the nation. That same day, Donald Trump announced on Twitter that he would designate Antifa a terrorist organization, even though the government has no existing authority to declare a domestic group to be a terrorist organization. And also, as Klippenstein notes, Antifa is not an organized group. Following the president's tweet, Attorney General Bill Barr said in a statement, quote, the violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and other similar groups in connection with the rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly. However, the FBI report states that, quote, based on confidential human source canvassing, open source and social media partner engagement and liaison, the FBI Washington field office has no intelligence indicating Antifa involvement or presence. The statement followed a list of violent acts like throwing bricks at police and the discovery of a backpack containing explosive materials. The FBI has been issuing these reports daily since the weekend, according to a bureau source of Klippensteins, who added that none of these documents contained any evidence of Antifa violence. The report, however, did warn that individuals from a far-right social media group had, quote, called for far-right provocateurs to attack federal agents, use automatic weapons against protesters. The nation, they say, is withholding the name of the far-right group in order to not disrupt any potential law enforcement investigations that are underway. The report is marked for official use only. It was provided to the nation by an FBI official on condition of an anonymity. It is titled Civil Unrest in Washington Following Death of George Floyd. The report's reference to confidential human sources suggests that the Bureau possesses secret informants participating in the in the uh, in the process uh, in the uh, protests. Asked about the report and why they've been un- unable to substantiate Antifa involvement in the violence, the FBI's Washington field office. Well, they declined to comment. So this is just. This is just like the George Soros straw man, which has been uh, had has had at its basis in uh, anti-Semitism for many years Uh, like that. This whole Antifa thing is just the latest way that these right wingers are hoping to to avoid not dealing with the facts about what has actually been going on in these protests and the reason for these largely peaceful protests, at least peaceful until police start instigating violence, which may in fact be caused by right-wing white supremacist, white supremacist instigators in the first place. But of course, you know, it's a swell way to have to avoid dealing with the white supremacist police brutality that is at the heart of all of these protests. Find someone to blame and you don't have to take any responsibility for your own failures, some of which were identified by the Reverend Al Sharpton at a memorial service held for George Floyd today in Minneapolis. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks. 
Because ever since 401 years ago, the reason we could never be who we wanted and dreamed to be in is you kept your knee on our neck. We were smarter than the underfunded schools you put us in, but you had your knee on our neck. We could run corporations and not hustle in the street, but you had your knee on our neck. We had creative skills. We could do whatever anybody else could do. But we couldn't get your knee off our neck. What happened to Floyd happens every day in this country in education, in health services, and in every area of American life. It's time for us to stand up in George's name and say, get your knee off our necks. That was Reverend Al Sharpton at the uh, memorial for George Floyd that was held on Thursday in Minneapolis. So, yeah, all, you know, all of this works out pretty nicely. Just, you know, blame other people so we don't talk about the real problem, the real problem of white America having their knee on the neck of African-Americans for 400 years. So it even leads us to take a half hour having to debunk that nonsense on this show. But I think it needs to be debunked. Nonsense put out by our own federal government. Not only our own federal government, who we, you know, nothing that this federal government does at this point under Trump especially uh, would surprise me. But an otherwise legitimate newspaper like the New York Times... Apparently, they're more than happy to do their their own part to help by running this, uh, you know, BS opinion piece by Tom Cotton, fascist, even though their own paper had debunked the nonsense in that opinion piece just days earlier. And then there's the fact that Donald Trump, of course, is facing an election, which by all rights, he should be losing in a landslide. And hopefully he will. But he's already preparing his excuse if that does happen and a way to call in the same right wing miscreants and the same right wing misinformation operatives to actually wage a war on his behalf if, in fact, he does lose this election. And that, of course, is by pretending that massive voter fraud is caused by absentee voting which is needed now all over the country because, yes, we are still in the middle of a pandemic in this country and the cases are going up. They are not going down. The curve is going back up, not down. And that's before we begin to uh, say that infection rates are, are likely to increase following these super spreader protest events we've seen around the country over the past 10 days. But while absentee balloting can be abused to cause a limited amount of fraud and the elections on Tuesday in about a dozen states did, in fact, show that we have some huge problems with absentee voting in all 50 states, likely this November, because many voters did not receive their vote by mail ballots at all or they got it after the election or they had to face incredibly long lines thanks to the consolidation of in-person polling places due to COVID-19. Well, with all of that, we do know of one voter fraud criminal who has so far escaped accountability, and he happens to be the man sitting in the White House warning everyone else falsely about absentee voter fraud. 
New evidence in the case of, yes, voter fraud criminal Donald Trump is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. It is a uh, maybe a good day in the state of Florida. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, the sunshine state. Uh, as noted at the top of the show, I had hoped to cover this new report from Washington Post on our previous Bradcast, but I had to bump it for all of the breaking news we had uh, yesterday. And I'm glad I did because it includes, well, it includes a new piece of information regarding the very real voter fraud crime by Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, who fraudulently voted by absentee ballot in Florida this year after claiming permanent residence in the state of Florida. The only problem there, Trump has no actual permanent residence in Florida that, that would allow him to vote legally in the state. He claimed that he had uh, moved his residence from New York City and that his permanent domicile in Florida was at his club, Mar-a-Lago. But as we reported some weeks ago, a 1993 agreement with the city of Palm Beach when Trump first bought the place and turned it from a residence into a commercial club, the agreement stated that nobody could permanently live there. If it was a club, a commercial space, it could not also be a, a residence for anyone. That, according to this agreement that was recently unearthed. So, yes, Donald Trump is a felony voter fraud criminal under Florida law, which has taken action against such uh, criminals before for actions much less egregious than what Donald Trump did. But so, OK, so we knew that. And then now we have some new evidence in that case that I was hoping to cover yesterday. But I'm glad I didn't because there's some good news regarding what I have been calling for now for several weeks, which is someone in law enforcement in Florida to actually investigate and prosecute Donald Trump for this crime, as both states and federal governments uh, in recent years have fined and jailed and even deported people for much less than what Trump did here when he illegally voted by absentee ballot in Florida. 
Now, according to Manuel Roig Franzia at Washington Post in a story that was updated today, President Trump originally tried to register to vote in Florida while claiming his, quote, legal residence was in a completely different part of the country. Washington, D.C., according to Florida election records, the September 2019 registration application listed Trump's legal residence as 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the location of the White House. That created a potential problem for Trump. Florida law requires voters to be legal residents of the state. Now, that wasn't the big crime here. A month later, Trump resubmitted his application to use a Florida address instead. And then in March he voted of uh, this year, he voted by mail in Florida's Republican primary. The revisions, however, complicate Trump's own record as a voter at a time when the president has made unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud in mail-in balloting. Trump's original voter registration application was obtained by The Washington Post via a public records request, and they find that it was filed uh, during a time when the president was making a highly publicized move to change his permanent residence from Manhattan, his penthouse there, to the Mar-a-Lago Private Club in Palm Beach, Florida. The voter application, the first one, is dated September 27, 2019. That is the same day that Trump made the domicile change. On one of his forms that day, he uh, he was telling Florida officials that his legal residence was Washington, D.C. on this registration form. And on another, he was saying he was claiming he was a bona fide resident of Palm Beach. Florida voter registration applicants are warned on the registration forms that they may be subject to fines and even prison time if they do not provide truthful information on that form. In fact... As I reported about a decade ago, more than was about 15 years ago, I think at this point, when then Republican superstar Ann Coulter, uh, whatever happened to her? She's still around, by the way. Oh, yeah. She hasn't um, gone away. I don't hear much from her. Anyway, uh, she was then a huge superstar. Well, I, I reported at Bradblog.com in great detail exclusively at times that she committed voter fraud in Florida twice by lying on her voter registration using an address that was not her own address, and then going to vote in person at a polling place that she was not entitled to vote in. That is a Class C felony to falsify a Florida voter registration form. And at the time, Ann Coulter was a lawyer. She should have known better. She signed it anyway. Back to Donald Trump. In a uh, recent instance in Florida, a public official faced legal consequences for registering to vote at an address that was not her legal address. Last year, the city manager of Deltona, Florida, entered into an agreement with the local state's attorney to uh, attorney's office to pay more than five thousand dollars in fees and reimbursement for the state's investigation to avoid being prosecuted on criminal charges in a voter registration case. In that case, she registered to vote using the address of the Deltona City Hall rather than her home address, and she had cast ballots in elections falsely using that registration. But at least she actually lived in Florida. Donald Trump does not live in Florida, and that is true even if you consider the White House to be a temporary residence, as presidents often do. They've done that many times in the past. Barack Obama voted by absentee ballot in Chicago, even while he was in the White House. 
In Palm Beach, where Trump has registered to vote, there was a high-profile arrest in 1993 in Palm Beach. 1993, the same year, by the way, that Donald Trump signed that agreement with Palm Beach. But that high-profile arrest in 93 was of a popular restaurateur who was charged with a voter fraud felony. And briefly, he was jailed because he registered to vote in Palm Beach, but he lived in the neighboring city of West Palm Beach. For that, that man was jailed. A month passed before Trump then filed a second voter registration application after he had first filed listing his legal residence as the White House. This time he listed 1100 South Ocean Boulevard in Palm Beach. That is the address of Mar-a-Lago. He claimed that was his legal residence, but it isn't. It can't be. Now, it's unclear what exactly happened, according to the Post, between in the 31 days between his two applications. They speculate that uh, possibly Florida election officials flagged the D.C. address on the application and may have requested a change or a clarification. You mean they gave him an opportunity to repair the problem that he did rather than just jailing him like they do with African-American people? Well, you're right. Yeah, they would have. And they have. So they gave him a chance. Oh, Mr. President, I think you got this wrong. You got to fill out it. You have to be a legal resident of Florida. Okay, I live at Mar-a-Lago. Let me do it again. Take two. A mulligan. And he did. And he used his uh, change of uh, residence in the bargain as a political tool. He said at the time of his announcement that he was treated so badly in New York that he had to move. He had no choice because they treated him so poorly. So now he lives in Florida, even though he lives at a place where he is not allowed to live, so he can't possibly be a legal, lawful resident there. And then at the same time, after saying he left New York, well, <laughs> Monday of this week, he declared on a phone call with some 50 governors of the U.S. He said, uh, quote, I live in Manhattan. <laughs> In this uh, conversation with the governors about the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. After that call, the uh, Democratic election attorney, Mark Elias, tweeted, Sounds like New York may have a good claim for taxes, you know, since Donald Trump claims he lives there. And Florida may have a good claim for voter fraud. Well, frankly, they had a good claim for voter fraud before that phone call. Questions about the legality of his change of domicile surfaced uh, in the past few weeks during this fight that he's been waging since 2018 to try to persuade Palm Beach to let him build a dock at Mar-a-Lago. He initially made the request, which is being considered by the city council, saying it was needed to enhance security to protect him. He later said, actually, no, it's just uh, for his uh, personal residence. He wants a dock for private family use only. So he changed the reason. And by the way, since all of this has come up, he has since, uh, since dropped that request altogether. But according to Mar-a-Lago's website, Trump maintains, quote, private quarters at the club. He calls Mar-a-Lago his winter White House, and he's traveled there more than two dozen times during his presidency. At taxpayer expense. Yes, staying there well over 100 days, according to the Post. Opponents of the dock had unearthed that agreement in the early 90s that Trump signed in order to convert Mar-a-Lago use from a single-family residence to a private club. At the time, his attorneys told the council he would not live at the club 
But he would have use of the facilities just like any other member. The agreement also bans members from staying at the club for more than 21 days in a year spread over three non-consecutive visits. So it cannot be his legal residence, even if we ignore his first application saying his legal residence was in Washington, D.C., or his recorded comments to governors this week saying that he lived in New York. Reginald Stambaugh, a an attorney who represents a neighbor who's opposed, uh, who was opposed to that uh, dock proposal, said it is one or the other. It is a club or it is your home. You cannot have it both ways. Glenn Zeitz, a Philadelphia attorney who has a home in Palm Beach, said the Trump's decision to use Mar-a-Lago as his domicile may represent, quote, a substantial and serious potential legal impediment to Trump registering to vote in Florida. The registration about Trump using an out-of-state address for his first voter application only adds more questions to all of this. It is just beyond the pale, Zeitz said, that something like this is being done. Well, since the initial information about all of of this, uh, well, about his agreement with Palm Beach came out, I've been calling for Donald Trump to be prosecuted as a voter fraud criminal. And then this article came out about uh, the, the first application in D.C. and his comments to the governors. Well, now it looks like I'm not the only one calling for this guy to actually be prosecuted. This according to an update to the story today at The Washington Post. On Thursday, an elections fraud complaint was filed with the Florida Department of State against Donald Trump by a guy named Jim Watson. He's a semi-retired truck driver from Boynton Beach, Florida. In the complaint, Watson asserts that Trump is prohibited from using Mar-a-Lago as his legal residence. He says this is in recorded agreement, a covenant running with the land to the benefit of all Florida and Palm Beach County residents. He notes that Trump now uses uh, Mar-a-Lago as a legal residence for his voter registration. And the complaint says that Mar-a-Lago is a club, not a property where anyone can legally reside. A letter accompanying the complaint asked that it be forwarded to the state attorney in Palm Beach County. The complaint raises the stakes in this ongoing battle over Trump's residency. And now, in fact... This is uh, a state, not a federal issue. So really, there's no reason that Trump can't be prosecuted for this crime other than the fact that this is Florida. And in the case of Ann Coulter, after a complaint was filed following her revelations about voter fraud that I documented in great detail at bradblog.com slash Coulter fraud. Her voter registration that we obtained via public records request proved that she lied on it in the same way, lied on it about her address. In any event, she got off the hook because Florida law enforcement, the state, basically ran out the clock with the help of her FBI boyfriend. But in this case, the prosecutors are obliged to investigate. If there is a complaint, they must investigate. The Post also reports that one additional elections fraud complaint is currently being prepared. All of this at a time that Trump is trying to keep everyone else in America from being able to vote by absentee, claiming it's all fraudulent. But in his case, it actually is. We will continue to keep our eyes on this story until justice is done or not. All right. Quick break. And we are back with Desi Doyen in the Green News Report. That is next. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to the Bradcast. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, Desi Doyen. Hey. What do you know? I'm late. Yes. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Everything in Louisiana will likely be impacted. Buckle up. Tropical storm Cristobal takes aim at the U.S. Study confirms extreme rainfall events are increasing in the U.S. Building new wind and solar projects now cheaper than running existing coal plants. New study finds. Plus, University of California divests from all fossil fuels. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, it's no secret. I got a little fun for science. I'm into the lifestyle, by which I mean continuing to live. I hear you. Good luck with that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, of course, we've got pandemics, we've got riots in the streets, we've got locusts taking over the African continent. Naturally, Here come the storms. Yes, everything all at once. After producing deadly flooding in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico, Tropical Storm Cristobal is picking up steam in the record warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Cristobal is already a record breaker. This is the earliest in the season that a third named storm has ever formed in the Atlantic since record keeping began in 1851. And now this one is headed for landfall. Oh, definitely. As we go to air, Cristobal is headed straight straight for the U.S. Gulf Coast, Mm. where the ground is already saturated. Officials from Texas to Louisiana to Alabama are scrambling to prepare for evacuations and ensure emergency shelters are safe for victims during the global coronavirus pandemic. It's also Election Day in Georgia next Tuesday. Uh, Any chance the storm could uh, affect folks in Georgia? Probably because there will be a lot of rain coming from this storm as it moves across the United States. And because all of our nightmares now happen at once. Louisiana's Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards in a press conference on Wednesday urged residents to get ready with COVID-19 in mind. Now is the time to prepare. Uh, Put yourself and your family in the best possible position uh, to Uh, ride out the first 72 hours of this storm. Um, The mitigation measures remain critically important and should be taken into account as you make your hurricane preparations. And the fact that we've had a third named storm already in 2020 signals a very busy hurricane season ahead. Hurricane-related records have been falling like flies in the last four years. Meanwhile, a new study shows how man-made global warming is increasing the frequency of extreme rainstorms across North America. You don't say. Yeah, like the kind that caused the catastrophic deadly floods that swept across 
Boulder, Colorado in 2013, and last year's devastating upper Midwest floods. The researchers project that at our current level of warming, extreme rainstorms that used to happen every 20 years will instead occur every five years. Mm. And worse, if no action is taken to reduce man-made global warming... And no action will be taken to reduce man-made global warming... Then 100-year extreme storms will occur every two to three years by the end of the century. It's going to be every two to three minutes by the end of the century. Are you kidding? As we saw with the Michigan dam failures a few weeks ago, most of our current infrastructure was not designed or built to withstand these more frequent extreme rain events. The study comes on the heels of a new analysis of federal data on dams showing that 15,000 dams in the United States are now classified as potentially high hazard that would kill people if they failed. To address the nation's aging infrastructure, House Democrats and the Transportation Committee unveiled a new infrastructure bill on Thursday to repair and replace roads, bridges, flood control systems, water systems, and boost renewable energy projects with a focus on climate resilience. Senate Democrats also challenged Senate Republicans to include economic relief for the U.S. domestic solar and wind industries in any new coronavirus recovery packages because they have not received the same federal financial support as the oil and gas industry. Oh, I'm sure the Senate Republicans will be taking up all of that and passing it right through the Senate very quickly. A new report finds that building new utility-sized wind and solar energy projects is cheaper than continuing to run most of the world's existing existing coal plants, marking a turning point in a global transition to low-carbon energy. That's according to the International Renewable Energy Agency. The cost of building large solar energy projects has fallen 80 percent in just 10 years, and the report concludes that utility companies would save a collective $23 billion every year by replacing existing coal with solar. So it saves money for consumers and government alike? Yeah, everybody. So I'm sure the conservatives will love that and make that a top priority. Finally, the vast University of California has announced it has fully divested from all fossil fuels, the nation's largest educational institution to do so, and instead is focusing its $126 billion portfolio on renewable energy and environmentally sustainable investments. The university joins a growing coalition of major institutions, pension and investment funds divesting from fossil fuels. 120 billion? Yes. That's good news. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. California, here we come. Right back where we started from. California. Yeah. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Our thanks to those of you who support our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Hey, tweet me and follow me on the Facebooks if you like. You will find me at the Bradblog, and my email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.